Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. We've got a lot to talk about today. I want to get into my rant today. Are Republicans patriotic enough to support a ban on Russian oil imports without turning it into a hustle? You know, will Republicans rally unconditionally to Ukraine's side if it costs us more at the gas pump and raises the price of home heating oil? Also, Tucker Carlson goes off on an epic racist rant about Judge Katanji Brown Jackson. I want to get into that. And Conversations of the Great Minds, a deep dive into flat earthers, conspiracy culture, and why people will believe anything. We are now seeing, by the way, all across the spectrum of the anti-vax conspiracy people online, they're now taking pro-Putin conspiracies as well. Apparently, there's a lot of Russian trolls driving this stuff, and, and that, that's going to be an interesting revelation if it turns out to be the case. Also, a bookstore event coming up Tuesday. My new book, it's uh, out next week, The Hidden History of Big Brother in America, How the Death of Privacy and the Rise of Surveillance Threaten Us and Our Democracy. An hour-long event with Powell's Bookstore, powells.com. You can register for it. These are Zoom events. And uh, Town Hall Seattle, Thursday, March 10th, townhallseattle.org. Pick one and, uh, or, or both if you, want, if you want a lot of you know, information about Big Brother and how Big Brother, you know, what Big Brother is up to, both corporate and uh, governmental. I did want to, though, raise this issue. Um, a friend of mine, and Louise's, was talking about feeling a sense of doom You know, we've had four years of Donald Trump as president, wondering if our democracy was even going to survive as a democracy, literally every day seeing more and more outrageous statements being made, seeing our, uh, you know, the EPA half their, lost half their scientists. Um, They gutted the USDA, they damaged the FDA, they destroyed the credibility of the CDC. They tried to politicize every single federal agency. We had a We had an attorney general, Bill Barr, who refused to prosecute any of the criminals in the Trump administration. Five members of his cabinet were referred by the inspector generals in their various cabinet areas, the Department of Education, Secretary, you know, et cetera. Five five of Trump's cabinet members were referred to the Justice Department for prosecution. 
and Bill Barr refused to prosecute any of them. So we watched that for four long years and the insanity of the Republican primary for a year before that. And then COVID hit and we've had two years of pandemic and now we've got a friggin' war going on in Ukraine that there's a very, very real chance that Russia will escalate. They've got over a thousand battlefield nukes. We only have a few hundred. And the kind that we have are not the kind that are easily deployed. The Russians have the kind that they can basically launch off the back of a truck. And this could get really ugly. I mean, not to say that it's not really ugly right now. This could get really nuclear really fast. And, you know, I think that there's a, a pervasive sense of doom around this. Uh, you know, a lot of people are feeling, a, you know, a sense of, oh, my God. You know, it's, it's like it's just been we've been hammered. Anybody who believes in democracy in the United States has been hammered now you know, steadily for five years. And frankly, if you look back and you see that, you know, Donald Trump became president in large part because of help from Russia, you know, we've really taken a pounding. That's the bad news. I don't feel a sense of doom, though. I've got to tell you, I mean, I, you know, I've, I've had moments, <laughs> which, some of which I've shared with you. But I actually... Assuming that we can get through the Ukraine situation without it turning into World War III, and even if it does, although, you know, I think that's pretty unthinkable, but assuming we can get through this, I actually have a sense of hope. You know, like I said, you know, the Trump presidency was brought to you by Vladimir Putin. The destruction of America via social media largely brought to you by Vladimir Putin. We know, you know, four years ago, there was that Sunday summer afternoon when uh, in Klamath Falls, Oregon, just down the road from us, one of literally over 100 cities across America, all these, uh, you know, uh, local white men showed up in the city center with axes and, and shotguns and, and shovels and hammers, whatever weapon they could find, because they were convinced that George Soros had paid for buses to bring black people from Portland, Antifa black people from Portland to their city to rape their women and burn their town down. Now, nobody knows who did this. It was a coordinated effort. It was done across mostly Facebook. And to this day, I mean, this is in my, in my, in my new book, The Hidden History of Big Brother in America. To this day, we don't know who set this up, but thousands, maybe tens of thousands, of scared white, mostly men, showed up in little towns all across America, literally from Oregon to Virginia, from Pennsylvania to, to New Mexico, from Florida to, to California, in small towns all across America, scared white people showed up convinced that all, you know, busloads of black people were coming. I think this was a test. I think this was, you know, hey, let's see how we can use social media. So anyhow, you know, we've been through all this crap. January 6th, organized mostly online. And frankly, I don't think it was entirely a domestic operation. Just like the Trump presidency wasn't a domestic operation. Donald Trump was basically an agent of, of Vladimir Putin for the four years that he was in the White House and for, for the two decades before that. And he made no bones about it before that. I mean, his son, Eric, during the, during the election came out and said, you know, we, we don't need money. We get plenty of money from Russia. It's literally what he said. So the reason that I have some hope around this 
is that the major anti-democratic, and I use that in small d, not the party, but the concept of democracy, the major anti-democratic force in the world has been, at least effectively, has been Russia. And, you know, promoting, uh, promoting these kinds of things, you know, via the Trump presidency and everything else. And they're exposed now. And the world is, is uniting around democracies. We've been in a steady slide since 2006. The number of democracies in the world has been declining since 2006. It had been steadily climbing since the end of the American Civil War, and it started to decline in 2006. As democracies around the world embraced Thatcherism, Reaganism, what you could call neoliberalism, and it started damaging their middle classes, and we saw oligarchs arising in country after country. Suddenly, you know, before Reagan, there, were, there wasn't a single billionaire in the United States. Now there's over 600 of them. These oligarchs, this, this eruption of oligarchs has been happening all across the Western world, and it's been damaging democracy, and it's been causing people to lose their faith in democracy. I think what we're seeing right now, I think the outcome of this, as god-awful and painful as it is, watching CNN, Anderson Cooper is visiting children in a cancer hospital, a children's cancer hospital in, in a uh, Ukrainian city that's under bombardment. I mean, it's just heartbreaking. But I, I really believe that this is a come-to-Jesus moment for the world. And when the dust settles, and hopefully that will be soon, that a better world will come out of this. So, you know, are you feeling a sense of doom or are you feeling a sense of hope? What's your sense of how this is going to play out? The, the top two op-eds, if you go to WashingtonPost.com, the top two op-eds are, one is... You know, what, how do we respond if Russia uses battlefield nukes? And the other is saying, you know, Russia's going to use battlefield nukes. Get ready, guys. Where does this all go? I personally think as grisly as it's gotten and can, will continue to get, this is going to blow up in Putin's face. You know, it's pretty straightforward stuff. They're at it again, right? The Republicans in the United States Senate are at it again. And this is something that if they were in any other developed democracy in the world, except Hungary, which tolerates uh, political corruption, thanks to Viktor Orban stacking his own Supreme Court. But in any other country in the world, if you took a million bucks from a fossil fuel baron, and then you consistently voted for the interests of that fossil fuel baron against the interests of your own country, you would go to prison. But not here in the United States. No, not here in the United States. You're called a Republican. And that's, that's exactly what happened because of five radicals on the U.S. Supreme Court. It is perfectly legal for legislators to take piles of cash from big, big oil and the billionaires that big oil has made and then proudly trash America and abandon other democracies like Ukraine. For example, the Biden administration asked that $10 billion of Ukraine aid be attached to the federal budget, which was supposed to get a vote well, actually, it was supposed to get a vote a couple months ago. And, you know, Steny Hoyer, in fact, announced last week that the vote will be March 8th. It'll be next Tuesday. We're still operating on Donald Trump's budget from 2020. It was signed in December of 2020, the last federal budget. We're still operating on that budget. Joe Biden, President Biden, is being forced to run the government based on the priorities of Donald Trump. 
Let that sink in for a moment. How did that happen? Well, you know, every time the budget starts moving forward, some Republican pops up to say, oh, no, you can't do that. Marsha Blackburn held it up for two weeks because she said, oh, they're, they're, they're funding crack pipes in there. This is the same Marsha Blackburn who took over a million bucks from companies that were selling opioids. It's just her hometown newspapers outing her on that. You can read it over here in, at harbinreport.com. And then, you know, most recently, I mean, like, like, like I said, last week, Stanley Hoyer came out. You know, he's the, the whip in the House. He's the guy who gathers go- votes on behalf of Nancy Pelosi. And he came out and he said, we're going to have a vote on March 8th. And then uh, Alabama Republican Senator Richie Shelby comes out and says, oh, no, you're not. I want, quote, a better sense of how much unspent money remains, end quote. So there's going to be another couple of weeks of delay while the congressional budget office or whatever, you know, comes up with the numbers for, for Mr. Shelby. And then, of course, before that, it was Rick Scott. Rick Scott had been blocking legislation to fund the post office, which was just, and he did it for two weeks, and it basically shut down the Senate for, for a couple of weeks in terms of moving this stuff forward. Now you've got Bill Cassidy and John Kennedy, two, uh, two senators from Louisiana, the oil state, using, they're also trying to slow down the budget using this BS excuse that they want an accounting for disaster relief funds that they said that their states were supposed to get in the 2020 budget, the Trump budget that we're operating under. They want an accounting of it. And Pat Leahy, the, the Democratic senator who's in charge of the Appropriations Committee that oversees all this stuff, he says, they haven't said a word about, about it to me, so I don't know what to say. This is all just performance art on behalf of the, of the oligarchs, of the, of, the, of the oil oligarchs who, you know, I mean, this, here's their goal. They don't want President Biden to ever, in his entire four years, of first four years of his presidency, to ever operate under a Democratic budget, a Biden budget. They don't want it to happen. In 2020, or in 2021, they forced him to operate under the Trump budget. Now in 2022, they're trying to force him to operate under the Trump budget. And even though the vote was originally scheduled, well, for two months ago, and then for last month, and now for next week, and now that's been postponed again because of Richard Shelby and because of you know, these guys down in Louisiana, John Kennedy. Now the whisper is that the Republican Party is going to try and prevent the budget from being passed until after the election in November. So that if they take the House or Senate, there will be no possibility of passing a budget, just a continuing resolution to keep the government open, no possibility of actually passing a Democratic budget at all during Biden's entire four years. This is what these guys are up to. And in the meantime, attached to that budget is the money for Ukraine. So they are trying to shut down the Biden administration. And, and by the way, the, the, the main excuse that they're using now is that we need to pass Keystone XL immediately. And we need to drill for more oil. This is the the 27 Republican senators put the Biden administration on notice that their top priority was more oil. These those those 27 senators, Republican senators who are are blocking the budget, they have received a combined total of over four million dollars from oil and gas company packs and over six million dollars from executives and employees of the oil companies. I mean, as I said, you know, this uh, Bill Cassidy down in Louisiana is the lead author of their letter. He took over almost $300,000 from oil and gas industry packs and almost $300,000 from oil and gas industry employees just since 2017. This is crazy. These guys are blocking aid to Ukraine. They're blocking a Democratic budget. 
They're blocking moving America forward, all because they want more fossil fuels in America. Meanwhile, Russia's committing massive war crimes, and we can't appropriate $10 billion to help Ukraine out. This is nuts. They are creating an unimaginable hellscape of war, wildfires, drought, flooding, and famine for our children, all to dance to the tune of the petrobillionaires. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Also, a couple of news things real quickly here, and then I'll pick up your phone calls. Alexander Vindman, remember the uh, Ukrainian, I'm not sure if he was born in Ukraine. I'm not sure if he was I think he came to the, to the United States as a child. I think his parents were Ukrainian and they came to the United States. But in any case, uh, you know, the guy who testified against Donald Trump in his impeachment hearings, uh, that Trump was, uh, he's the, the whistleblower, in fact, that, that Trump was trying to uh, blackmail Vladimir Zelensky by withholding $400 million of U.S. military aid for a year uh, because Zelensky would not uh, give uh, Trump, uh, would not manufacture dirt on Joe Biden. Anyhow, Alexander Vindman is tweeting right now, reports, and he, and he tweeted a, a Russian language tweet, reports of a significant armor engagement in a suburb of Kiev between Russian forces. One group of Russian tanks took on another group of Russian tanks, and the result was the loss of nine tanks and four infantry fighting vehicles. Russians, if this reporting is accurate, are starting to turn their guns on their own people. That's mind-boggling. Also, the Biden boom continues, and that's what, that's what they're calling it now, the Biden boom. In fact, start using that hashtag. The U.S., we, they were estimating that uh, the number of jobs for February when the numbers came in would be around 440,000. It was 678,000 jobs. Unemployment is down now to 3.8%. We're at unemployment levels we haven't seen since the 1960s here in the United States. And finally, Alan Abdo is reporting on Twitter, and again, I can't uh, double confirm this, but I, I have heard it from more than one source, that Maersk, M-A-E-R-S-K, the giant shipping company out of Finland, and MSC, and I'm not sure where they're based, but they're, th- these two companies basically have a monopoly on container shipping all around the world. You see that Maersk name on the side of containers all the time as you know, trucks are hauling them down a road. 
Uh, those two companies have said that they will no longer allow the, they will no longer transport container goods into Russia or out of Russia. But it's the into Russia that matters because those container goods can carry food, clothing, electronics, consumer goods, uh, basically everything you need. I mean, this is, this is extremely, extremely destructive to Russia. And then finally, you'll recall uh, earlier this week, Greg Pallas came on my program and uh, on this program and was talking about, uh, you know, we ought to lift the sanctions on Venezuela so that their oil can flood into the international market, which will drive the price of oil down, which will deprive Putin of some of the money that he's using right now to wage his war. And I said, you know, hey, I think it's a great idea and I support that. And here's the Wall Street Journal. I'll just read you the two paragraphs or the two sentences out of the Wall Street Journal, uh, germane to this. There's a whole article about it, but you need a, a subscription to read it. But what they, what they write is, with energy prices soaring because of war in Ukraine, Wall Street firms and other U.S. investors are seeing an opening to press the Biden administration to lift sanctions against a potentially major Western Hemisphere producer of crude, Venezuela. Venezuela's regime, anxious to regain access to international credit and attract foreign investment to get a feeble economy going again, has been quietly sweetening the pot for Wall Street bondholders so they can persuade the Biden administration to start removing sanctions. As I said, there's a lot of good news, and we need to notice it and pay attention to it and not get sucked into, you know, despair and doom calling and all that kind of stuff. So, anyhow, picking up your phone calls, Jason in Homestead, Florida. Hey, Jason, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. The thing I've been seeing through the media and even on free speech, even on corporate media, where it's been outside of emotional tugging, which, which, you know, I feel sad for definitely what's going on in Ukraine, but I don't want to be manipulated by it, and it seems like that's what's been going on. But um, it also seems to be one-sided completely, that it's all Putin's fault. This is all Putin's situation. And, you know, the only place I've heard where it's different. But, you know, I've actually been listening to free speech for a long time, and I've been listening to Democracy Now! for a long time, and trust that over every single program on free speech and anywhere else, to tell you the truth. And I'll tell you, they've had constant experts come on, even the person in the room when they created NATO, come on, of course he's an old man now, come on and say that it's our expansion to Russia. Yeah, I, did, I completely disagree, and the, and the basis for my disagreement, Jason, is that Vladimir Putin himself came out and gave an hour-long speech uh, two weeks ago, week and a half ago, yep. saying yep. that he was taking Ukraine because Kiev was the historic uh, capital yep. of Russia. Ki uh, Ukraine is a made-up country. It's not a real country. He, he, he didn't even mention NATO, to the best of my exactly, recollection. Exactly, exactly. And, 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 and so way, I, I'm not buying yeah, that, oh, it's all about NATO yeah. story. Sorry. Well, I'm not saying, see, see, this is what the problem is. This is what I'm talking about. I'm not saying it's all NATO. What I'm yeah. saying is that it's all one-sided in our media. And this is dangerous. This is Iraq, Afghanistan, dangerous. Yeah, I agree. For, and, and for, for Putin, I'm glad that, I, I mean, well, I guess glad is not the right word, but it's good that, it, or not good, but it looks like this is going to become his Iraq. Yeah. And the problem is, is that, like I said, it's all one-sided. And when you're talking about, I remember when you said that because I was listening. And I, I really can't, I couldn't listen all, as much as I've been just because of this reason. But as you're saying that, the experts are coming on and saying it's No, I get it. You, are, you already side. said it, Jason. You're getting redundant. And, then, and so I'm going to move along. You know, point made. Mike in Easton, Pennsylvania. Mike, what's on your mind today? Hi. Uh, we've had interesting 
TV in Pennsylvania with the retirement of Bob Toomey from the Senate. Mm -hmm. We've had Dr. Oz doing his uh, Trump impression, <laughs> his fellow con man. And, but the worst things that are coming is from uh, actually a governor candidate. And he wants to use his Marine unit's motto, which was do whatever it takes. And he wants to put that into his political campaign. That is not the motto which, of the Marine Corps. No, that's his the Marine Corps. The motto of the Marine Corps is Semper Fi. I mean, it's, you know. but, yeah, but it was his units. And that's even scary in military because that's where war atrocities come from. Exactly, exactly. Do whatever it takes. Yeah. And uh, one of the candidates in Ohio is even extended. He said, do whatever it takes to return this country back to the its former glory. Yeah, to the 1950s uh, when uh, yeah. people of color knew their place, women were barefoot and pregnant. You know, young people were were unwilling to, uh, afraid to come out if they were if they yep. were gay. I mean, or lesbian, or anything, or trans. I mean, it's just it's it, it's crazy. Mike, thank you for the report from Pennsylvania. I appreciate it. Are Republicans patriotic enough to support a ban on Russian oil imports without turning it into a hustle? And that's the key. That's the key to the whole thing. You had the, um, uh, a member of the Ukrainian parliament, Oleksandra Ustinova, asked, how many Ukrainian deaths do Americans have to see on TV before we stop funding Putin by buying his oil? And I would add, how many Ukrainian deaths do we have to see on TV before Republicans stop using the Russian invasion of that country to promote the interests of American petrobillionaire oligarchs? American oligarchs. Now, just to put this in perspective, Germany's economic minister, a guy by the name of Robert Habeck, told Deutschlandfunk Radio that Germany has now positioned itself, keep in mind, 40% of Germany's fossil fuel imports come from Russia. Germany has now positioned itself to decouple altogether from Russia's oil and gas imports. Uh, I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, this was considered unthinkable. He, he said yesterday, quote, we are prepared for that now. I can give the all clear for the current winter and summer. How's he going to do it? Well, he, he pointed out there's three nuclear power plants still running in Germany, and they'll just keep them running for a while. They were supposed to decommission them this year. And also, they've got old coal-fired power plants around the country that haven't been used in a number of years that they can bring back online. He, he did say, however, that we're going to have to buy more gas, we're going to have to buy more coal from other countries, and that the price of gasoline and home heating in Germany will go up. So here's the German government saying to their people, as part of the price of supporting Ukraine, you're going to see an increase in gas prices. Republicans, on the other hand, <laughs> have a completely different perspective on this. And the reason why, of course, is because in Germany, their Supreme Court has never said that if fossil fuel billionaires want to own German politicians, that's just fine. That's free speech. In fact, the German Supreme Court has said the exact opposite. It is illegal for politicians in Germany to be owned by billionaires. Here in the United States, though, our Supreme Court, with Citizens United in 2010, fully legalized the ownership of politicians by billionaires and by industries. 
And so you see Kirsten Sinema owned by pharma. You see the entire Republican Party owned by big oil. I mean, you know, you see Joe Manchin owned by big coal. I mean, it goes on and on and on. This is a felony in Germany. It is standard operating procedure in the United States because of the Supreme Court, because of these five radicals on the Supreme Court who, who pushed this through with Citizens United back, you know, 12 years ago. So now, how are Republicans responding to Ukrainian members of Congress saying, hey, America, why are you buying oil from Russia? And by the way, just, just to give you a little backstory on this, prior to the Bush-Cheney administration, we were not buying oil from Russia in any consequential way. There's a, there's a graft from the U.S. Energy Information Administration from our federal government uh, that I published today over at HartmanReport.com in, in this op-ed, you know, in today's op-ed, titled U.S. Imports from Russia of Crude Oil. And uh, prior to 1990, they were zero. There was a little spike there in the uh, mid-90s where we were, were buying just little bits of Russian oil, but it took off like, like a bat out of hell in 2002 when George W. Bush and Dick Cheney were running the country, two oil CEOs. We went up to 400,000 barrels a day during the Bush-Cheney administration. Now, when they left office, it went down a little bit, but, you know, it, it, we're still importing, um, on average, maybe 100,000 barrels a day. And so the Republicans are saying, if you're going to cut that off, replace it by, by reauthorizing the Keystone XL pipeline and giving licenses to drill to big oil companies uh, for even more of the Gulf Coast, the California Coast, the East Coast of the United States. Uh, let us further despoil the environment. This is a complete BS argument. Even if Joe Biden said, okay, cool, you know, we're going to stop buying Russian oil tomorrow and we're going to make up for it by, by doing exactly what the Republicans are asking for, it would be two, three, four, five years before any of that oil came online. It wouldn't affect gas prices. This Republican argument is completely disingenuous. It is, it is, it is vile, for lack of a better word. And, 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 and at the same time, you got Republicans putting stickers on gas pumps all over the United States saying, oh, the price of gas, that, Joe Biden brought you that. Right, right. So what if Biden did say, okay, we're not going to buy any more oil? By the way, in the month of January, last month or the month before last, we imported no Russian oil. And this was in part because, I mean, part of it was probably caused by COVID, but most of it is because the Biden administration has been trying to wean us off foreign oil. Donald Trump just doubled down on foreign oil. But, you know, in any case, let's say he does. What are Republicans going to say? Well, all we have to know, all we have to do to know how Republicans would respond to that is look how they responded to Jimmy Carter when you had the Arab oil embargo, or at least the echo of it. Jimmy Carter came out, gave a speech, and said, you know, we need to turn our thermostats down. We need to insulate our houses. We need to wear sweaters. And we need to drive more slowly. We're going to change the national uh, speed limit from 65 to 55. And what did the Republicans say? They said they called his speech the malaise speech, even though he never used the word. They said he was weak. They said it was anti-American to turn down your thermostats. They attacked him viciously for trying to reduce our oil consumption. 
What makes you think they won't do the same thing if Joe Biden, you know, uh, cuts off uh, imports of Russian oil? I mean, it's, he's in a complete no-win situation. If he doesn't cut off the imports of Russian oil, he's going to be attacked by the Republicans for allowing, you know, a, a, a few million dollars a day. Um, right now, I think it would be probably on the order of around $10 million a day, a few million dollars a day from the United States to go to Russia. If he does cut off the Russian oil, then they're going to point to that and say, see, he's, he's jacking up the price of fossil fuels in the United States, and he's not giving us the pipeline, and he's not letting us drill more oil wells. I mean, the obvious and easy answer to this is, okay, we're going to cut off Russian oil, and we're going to replace it with a, you know, a couple billion dollars to expand solar and wind. This, is, this isn't rocket science. Solar and wind are both cheaper than oil as energy sources now. Cheaper. They have been for a decade. But Republicans don't care about what's cheaper or not cheaper. They don't care about what's right or not right. They don't care about the future and fate of the environment. In fact, they deny global warming is even happening. Or if it is, as uh, Trump said last week, you know, it, it, it might just, you know, uh, uh, move back your waterfront a little bit uh, or words to that effect. They, all they really care about is that the money from the fossil fuel billionaires and the big oil companies keeps flowing into the Republican Party. That's it. Period. So, you know, expecting them to be honest about this, expecting them to do the right thing, expecting Republicans to say, yes, we're going to put America before our party is fantasy. It's absolute fantasy. And, uh, you know, betting that the GOP is going to do the right thing, not a bet that I'd want to take. Tucker Carlson has gone off on an epic racist rant against Katanji Brown Jackson. I'll uh, get into that and be picking up your phone calls on the other side of this break. Ukraine, by the way, is inviting Russian mothers to come to Ukraine to recover their sons who are held as prisoners of war. Fascinating. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is an absolutely fascinating topic for you. We're seeing now pro-Putin disinformation. In fact, the headline over at Mother Jones, pro-Putin disinformation is thriving in online anti-vax groups, which makes me wonder how much of the online anti-vax stuff was being driven out of Russia to begin with. But let's do a bit of a deep dive into the reality of all this stuff, how it comes about, how it is that people believe these wackadoodle conspiracies. Kelly Weil is on the line. Kelly is a, a journalist with The Daily Beast and the author of a new book, Off the Edge, Flat Earthers, Conspiracy Culture, and Why People Will Believe Anything. The website, thedailybeast.com, and Kelly Weil, W-E-I-L-L, on Twitter. Kelly, welcome to the program. So let's start at the beginning. By the way, I, I love the piece over on uh, Daily Beast, how the father of flat earthers arose from a nutty commune. And before we get to that story, why is it that we're so vulnerable to conspiracy theories? And, and tell us about this study where people were basically primed to believe a conspiracy theory, and sure enough, it worked out. Mm -hmm. You know, to an extent, everybody is susceptible to conspiracy theories. We go looking for conspiracy theories when we feel like the available information is insufficient or it's upsetting. It doesn't uphold our prior beliefs. Um, and so in those moments, we go looking for alternative answers. Now, what's really interesting is that we found other instances that make people even more vulnerable to conspiracy theories. It turns out that if you put people in a frightening situation, they are more likely to believe a kooky explanation for it. So there are a lot of factors that go into conspiracy belief. And it's interesting to see which ones can emerge in moments like now when we have a lot of legitimate fear and uh, confusion. I used to do international relief work and I've worked literally all around the world on four continents. And one of the things that I noticed, particularly in the Middle East and in, well, I saw it a lot in Uganda when I was there during the Civil War in 1980, and they, the Tanzanians came in and ran uh, Idi Amin out, was you know, just these wild conspiracy theories that were unchallenged. I mean, people just adopting them and assuming that they were true, whereas, you know, in a middle-class country that didn't feel that threat in Europe or in the United States, I was living in Germany at the time, people would laugh at such things. And in fact, when I tried to tell people about some of the stories I was hearing in some of these countries, they would go, you know, that's crazy stuff. Is that what you're talking about? Yes and no. I mean, people are certainly more likely to believe outlandish conspiracy theories when the moment calls for it. You know, right now in the fog of war, we're seeing a lot of really strange disinformation, which I think you alluded to in the opening to this program. So the stranger the circumstances, the stranger the uh, possible explanation that people might turn to is. Um, but, you know, it's not just people in disadvantaged situations that can believe crazy things. And in this book, I dove into Flat Earth, which actually emerged from reasonably well-off countries and um, is still thrives among people who are, we would say, relatively advantaged. Yeah, tell us the story of, uh, is it Mane Fain or Fawn? Fan? Uh, Manea Fan. This was a, uh, a failed utopia in the UK in the 1830s. 
And uh, it, it came again, you know, we talk about times of confusion. This was a time of economic upheaval. People were looking for new ways to live and to think of themselves as workers. And this commune failed because there was issues with alcoholism and nobody really wanted to work. But its real lasting legacy was one of its leaders used uh, some of the land on that commune to start conducting experiments to claim Earth was flat. They lived on a very marshy, flat plain, and it sort of looked like it to the naked eye. And after this utopia fell apart, he started looking for new ways to make business. He uh, sold bogus medicine for a little while, and he really uh, made it big when he started selling pamphlets and then books and then lecture circuits claiming that earth was flat and he started getting a bit of a following and unfortunately that legacy lives with us to this day is it, i mean literally the the I'm, I'm looking for his name it was roth uh, robotham right yes yeah mr robotham uh is is he actually and this was 1838 there is an active flat earth society as it were you know uh, around the world they're very active on the internet some of them appear to be actual true believers as opposed to people who are just, you know, think it's kind of clever, sort of like the birds aren't real thing. Are they quoting this guy, Robotham? Yes and no. I mean, a lot of the foundational beliefs that Robotham laid out have remained the same. They believe that Earth is a flat disk and it's encircled by an ice wall. And some of them now believe that it's also enclosed in a big dome, almost like a snow globe. So they do go back and cite those foundational flat earth texts, but it's evolved a lot since then because they've needed to make excuses for new information like, oh, what's going on with outer space travel, which we now have. So it's evolved and yet its core um, claims and it, I think its core emotional appeal for people has stayed pretty consistent. Yeah, we're talking with uh, uh, Kelly Weil, whose new book is uh, off the edge, flat earthers, conspiracy culture, and why people will believe anything. So I have this story from Mother Jones by Catherine Joyce um, that uh, these these conspiracy theories that are now uh, being shared on social media, particularly Facebook, in the uh, anti-vax groups are now putting forward pro-Putin conspiracy theories. Um, uh, Christian Northrup, an influential holistic medicine practitioner who regularly spreads pandemic misinformation, uh, shared with her followers a map that supposedly showed secret labs in Ukraine that she insists is where viruses are being created. She said the U.S. government conducted biological experiments with potentially lethal outcome on 4,400 soldiers in Ukraine and 1,000 soldiers in Georgia. And it goes on and on. I mean, you know, there's, they, they, she's actually in this article identifying about a dozen of these really relatively high-profile anti-vax folks who are now pushing, uh, you know, uh, anti-Ukraine. I, I, I called it pro-Putin be, to begin with, but it's really anti-Ukraine um, propaganda. Uh, and look at all the corruption. This is an actual quote from one of the uh, Facebook group called Stop the Tyranny. Look at all the corruption installed in Ukraine. Putin is against the new world order and child trafficking. The moment you realize Putin isn't fighting Ukraine, he's fighting the deep state in Ukraine. I mean, what is this? What is this a commentary on human nature? Is this a commentary on how effective um, the ability of a foreign government to infiltrate a Facebook group can be? Uh, what does that tell you, having you know done this deep dive research and written this book? 
You know, there is an extent to which Russia has pushed uh, vaccine disinformation in the U.S., but it even predates COVID. And to th- at this point, I wouldn't say that this is Russian infiltration as much as it is U.S. conspiracy theorists cynicism. Hmm. Conspiracy theories aren't just um, a a belief system. They also work as a bit of an identity for people. They identify with their conspiracy group, and sometimes it's a very literal Facebook group or even uh, an influential uh, conspiracy voice like a YouTuber or uh, an Instagram influencer. These influencers need to not just promote their theory, but promote distrust in mainstream narratives. So that's why you'll see, even though these people have no idea what's going on in Ukraine, that when a new crisis emerges, they retool it to fit their narrative, which in this case is something to do with U.S. bioweapons or just this idea that you cannot trust the available information, that the real story is actually the reverse. So that's one element of it. I think it's just pure cynicism. And the other, frankly, is um, a lot of these conspiracy movements have a strong anti-democratic strain. Mm. Uh, It's not inherent in them, but I have noticed this a lot, often in anti-vax communities. And there is a bit of a veneration of... um, Russian strongman aggression. And I think a lot of these influencers are very primed to defend Putin in this moment. And so those two uh, narratives, both being pro-Putin and being anti-fact, I think go hand in hand here. We, we, we have about uh, I, I, maybe just a little bit more than two minutes before we're going to hit a hard break here. So we've got this synthesis of conspiracy theories, uh, you know, humans being primed to basically try to figure out how the world works. I mean, that's, that's intrinsic to our nature. Plus, uh, perhaps authoritarian personalities. Most authoritarians are actually authoritarian followers rather than authoritarian leaders. And the you know very human instinct to want mom and dad to take care of us. To, 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 and I guess maybe that's part of authoritarianism, but I think there's a, a larger piece. Are you seeing a synthesis of these three things emerging in these conspiracy groups? Very much so. Um, I think a lot of people in conspiracy movements, although they do build themselves as free thinkers and independents, really are looking for someone with the answers. And it makes sense in a way. Conspiracy theories are a way of seeking uh, order even in the world when the world seems chaotic and impossible to understand. So either via a theory that claims to have it all or via conspiracy influencers who uh, speak to the audience like it's their flock and they're going to give them how do, real truth. How do we best yeah. push back on this? We have just about a minute here, Kelly. It's really challenging. I think one of the best ways to combat this is not to debate people in a hostile way that makes people almost dig down into their beliefs further, mm-hmm. but to talk to people in a human way and understand the emotional reason they go to these groups and try and show them that these leaders, that these conspiracy voices don't actually have their best interests at heart and to try and forge that personal connection in the real reality-based world. Yeah, I'm, I, you know, I'm hearing from, well, I heard from a friend of mine who's a progressive the other day, uh, oh, this is all about getting the Nazis out of Ukraine. And I'm like, no, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's not. But it, it, it's tough to just say, okay, well, let's talk about that. It's really challenging. And I think it involves some uh, willingness on the part of the believer to change their mind. You can't force people to change their minds. But I do think those uh, conversations with people who you actually trust can help. 
Yeah, it's a tough one. I, I also have, you know, people who are afraid of the vaccine. I mean, you know, it's amazing. Anyhow, Kelly, Kelly Wilde, the new book, Off the Edge, Flat Earthers, Conspiracy Culture, and Why People Will Believe Anything. Kelly, thanks so much for dropping by. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Great talking with you. We'll be back with more of the news of the day and your calls. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Tony in Long Beach, California. Hey, Tony, thanks for listening to KPFK. What's up? You had a great guest, Kelly Weil, discussing her book, on believing the best book ever written on the subject by a brain scientist is called the social brain the very first line of the book believing is what we humans do best so we are not reflexively critical thinkers from the time we are very young, if we are not taught to think critically, we reflexively believe. Oh, that's an and interesting that, point, Tony. I've never heard that. I've never heard anybody assert it that way. That's fascinating. Yeah, well, the man who wrote that book, Michael Gazzaniga, is the foremost expert in the world on split brain research. In 1981, a man named Roger Sperry won a Nobel Prize for that subject. His assistant was Michael Gazzaniga. Uh -huh. also, also, and you may have had him on your show, uh, there's a book called The Believing Brain by a man named Michael Shermer. Have you ever read uh, Julian Jaynes' book? This is from, you know, tw more than 20 years ago, The Origin of Consciousness and the Breakdown of the Bicameral Mind. the Breakdown mind. of the Bicameral Mind. Right. Right. I, I've read Absolutely. that book, and, and, and he's okay. making kind of a similar argument, but he, it, it, it's almost metaphysical. Well, yes and no. That book came out around 1970, and the book would have been left out of existence except that he was a renowned scholar. Yeah. And one, right, one of the things in the book which he dealt with, which became a very controversial subject, is why do human beings have two hemispheres? Why did it, why did our brain evolve that way? And so he came up with the theory of why we have two hemispheres why there are certain functions in the left, some in the right, etc., which I know you're familiar with. Mm -hmm. And his conclusions were extremist. Again, so much so that had he not been a renowned scholar, 
people would have just dismissed the yeah. book. No, I, I read the book back in the 70s. It, it's a tough read, right. by the way, uh, the breakdown, uh, the origins of consciousness and the breakdown of the bicameral mind by Julian James. But I found it fascinating. I, I you know, I, I never went farther than that, and I didn't realize other people were writing about it. It's fascinating. Tony, I'm sorry we're out of time. Uh, you've, you've touched one of the areas that I just love to discuss. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'll call you next week. Okay. And by the way, what was the title of the first book you mentioned and the author? The Social Brain by Michael Gazzaniga. I'll check it out. Social Brain. Thank you, okay. Tony. Thanks a lot for the call. Man, what what is Tucker Carlson doing? I mean, do you recall anybody when Amy Coney Barrett was nominated to the bench asking, we'd like to see her LSAT scores? Well, no, you just assume that if a person is going to be, you know, is going to be in law, is going to go through law school, LSAT is the test you get to, you know, to, to get into law school that they're going to be smart enough to, to be in law school. And if they get out of law school and they get a job as a lawyer and then they get a job as a judge, that, you know, there's something going on in their brain that's, that's uh, respectable. I don't recall anybody asking to see Brett Kavanaugh's LSCAT scores. I don't recall anybody asking to see John Gorsuch or, or Neil Gorsuch's uh, LSAT scores. But now we've got a black woman nominated for the Supreme Court. So all of a sudden, Tucker Carlson... You know, the guy who says that there's this whole conspiracy to replace white people with black people, you know, a racist's racist. Tucker Carlson comes out and says, uh, well, you know, I want to see her LSAT scores. This is amazing. He says, uh, appointing her as one of his gravest constitutional duties. So it might be time for Joe Biden to let us know what Katanji Brown Jackson's LSAT score was. How did she do on the LSATs? Why won't you tell us that? Well, you know, a, probably nobody has asked, but B, this is just a, this is pure, petty racism. As Jim Sudo said, this is petty and offensive, but I also sense an attempt to divert attention from Tucker Carlson's open defense of Russia's position on Ukraine. Ida Bay Wells writes, and that's Nicole Hannah-Jones actually, writes, this is textbook racism, not even a dog whistle. Show clips of Tucker asking for LSATs of a white candidate. Outside of the ridiculous arguments that scores to get into law school are the measure of qualification, the presumption that black people are dumb is standard white supremacy. Dean Obadala, my, my friend and colleague on this, on, on here on SiriusXM, his show uh, follows, my, follows uh, Michelangelo's uh, after mine. He says, this is a classic white supremacist trope that there's no way a black person could have been intelligent enough to be accepted to a great school, so they got in through a quota, et cetera. Trump did the same thing with Obama's school records. Yes, that was the last time we heard about this. Where are his grades? That was Trump talking about Obama. Oh, my God, black people trying to get into government? We need to find out if they're smart. Oh, man. And then uh, Dino Badala goes on to say, Tucker and Trump are the grand wizards of today's GOP. Right. Christian Schneider uh, uh, age, uh, says, I don't recall Trump questioning Amy Coney Barrett's mental acuity, puzzled as to why. Well, I'm not puzzled at all. I think it's fairly obvious why. Because Tucker Carlson believes that black people aren't smart enough to be on the Supreme Court. And this is just standard white supremacist BS and, and you know, has been for way too many years. 
And, and it's time for us to just call it out for what it was. Tucker Carlson's rant on Fox News was some of the most disgusting white supremacist crap I've ever seen. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is by S. James Gates Jr. and Catherine Pelletier. And it's titled Proving Einstein Right, The Daring Expeditions That Changed How We Look at the Universe. And first, just explaining the book, here's a paragraph from the dust jacket. In 1911, a relatively unknown physicist named Albert Einstein published his preliminary theory of gravity, but it hadn't been tested. To do that, he needed a photograph of starlight as it passed the sun during a total solar eclipse. So began a nearly decade-long quest by seven determined astronomers from observatories in four countries who traveled the world during five eclipses to capture the elusive site. Over the years, they faced thunderstorms, the ravages of a world war, lost equipment, and local superstitions. Finally, in May of 1919, British expeditions to northern Brazil and the island of Principe managed to photograph the stars, confirming Einstein's theory. This is from Chapter 1, A Path Made of Magic, The First Expeditions. A solar eclipse occurs when the moon passes between the Earth and the sun, totally or partially hiding the image of the sun from observers on Earth. While our sun is 400 times the diameter of the moon, it's also 400 times farther away from Earth. That's how the cosmos can perform this dramatic sleight of hand in the first place. A total solar eclipse, quite common though rarely viewed in any one place, occurs when the moon appears to cover the entire face of the sun. The moon's shadow, or umbra, blocks all direct sunlight, turning daytime into night. Although a partial solar eclipse, its shadow is called a penumbra, is visible over a region that is thousands of miles wide, a total eclipse is observable only along a narrow path that cuts across the surface of the Earth. Called the path of totality, it's typically about 10,000 miles long, but only 50 to 100 miles wide. The chances of your house sitting on the umbra of a total eclipse are about once every 375 years. To witness the sun totally eclipsed by the moon, you must be standing somewhere within that slender track. And you need the luck of the draw when it comes to clear skies. Solar eclipses figure prominently in human history. The word eclipse from, comes from the ancient Greek word eclipsis, which means being abandoned. A rather frightening thought when you consider how important daylight and warmth were to early humans in their struggle for survival. These people had no warning after all, let alone an explanation. Folk astronomy dates back to the early Paleolithic period when humans formed small bands for safety and became hunters and gatherers. Solar and lunar eclipses took their place alongside other unexplained celestial activity such as meteor showers and lightning storms. All over the world, myths arose about these terrifying eclipses that no one could understand. It wasn't so many decades ago that shutters were nailed over windows during an eclipse to keep out the sun. Cattle were driven into barns for fear of them becoming blind. Pregnant women were hidden. Certain foods couldn't be eaten. Candles were lit and desperate prayers were uttered. Various cultures around the world knew what was happening, of course. Sorcerers were at work. The devil had flicked his tail between the earth and the sun. Fairies were riding on horseback, provoking the moon to steal the sun. Demons were hungry, or perhaps it was a bear or a frog that needed nourishment. 
In many parts of the world today, focus astronomy still holds sway over science. Records show that as early as 2500 BCE, the Babylonians and ancient Chinese were adept at predicting solar eclipses. Their ability was vital since this ability was vital since eclipses were bad omens that threatened the welfare of any ruler. The Babylonians, for example, put substitute kings on the throne, thinking they would fool the eclipse should it attempt to harm the real king. When the eclipse was over, the imposter would step down and the true ruler would again ascend to the throne. In China, in particular, it was the astronomer's job to study the skies, track solar and lunar eclipses and the movements of the planets, and then report these findings to the emperor. Because the emperor's prosperity was at stake, these natural phenomena were so important that early astronomers might be killed if they failed to predict their occurrences. The most famous of these stories concerns the royal astronomers, C and Ho. On October 22nd, 2134 BCE, the two became so inebriated they fell asleep and missed the solar eclipse, the oldest in recorded history. The emperor was not amused. Had they predicted the eclipse, he would have had time to form teams of his men. There would have been arrow shooters to aim at the sun and drum beaters to urge them on, an army that could fight off the invisible dragon that was devouring the sun. Of course, the sun survived anyway on that October day over 4,000 years ago. Sadly, C and Ho lost their heads. Although the story is apocryphal, it is said that to this day, no one has ever witnessed a drunk astronomer during an eclipse. And this verse remains as a humorous epitaph. Here lies the bodies of Si and Ho, whose fate, though sad, was visible, being killed because they did not spy the eclipse, which was invisible. It would take centuries of eclipses before early civilizations began to see a pattern in the appearances. Because, well, it continues from there. Proving Einstein Right by Gates and Pelletier. Len in Cocoa Beach, Florida. Hey, Len, you got the last minute. What's up? I just want to say that Ron DeSantis lost his cool, lost his mind. Oh, telling those kids to take off their masks? Yeah, tell those kids to take off those masks. And I think he's upset because he came in second behind, way behind Trump and the straw poll at CPAC. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. He he only pulled, he pulled less than 10 percent, didn't he? Wasn't it like 7 or 8 percent? Yeah, something yeah. Like that. 20, 20 something percent. Oh, 20 something. He was so okay. Close enough. <laughs> and he, he was totally upset, and it was just totally inappropriate. And that just lets you know that he doesn't even believe in his own corrupt policies that he's trying to push. No, he doesn't. Ron DeSantis wants to be president. He wants power. And right. that kind of person who's willing to lie to get power who's willing to have people die. I mean, look at all the people who died in Florida to get power. Right. That's exactly. not the kind of person you want in the White House. Uh, we had one of those for four years, and we're still suffering from that disaster. Len, thank you. Excellent. And thanks for listening to us on SiriusXM. We'll be back at the same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you, all of us. That includes you. And there's so much you can do and so many great organizations that you can hook up and just telling your friends about great progressive media, for example, and spreading the word about what's going on in the world. You can do it. Be an agent of change. Tag, you're it. Have a great afternoon. Be good to yourself and the people around you. Stay safe. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 